It's nice to see you all. Um, we have a lot of children, don't we, and a lot of young people. It's very clear when it's this point. Um, for those of that been here for the last three weeks, you've made it to week three. Well done. Um, we've been looking at Mark 5 together, verse 21 to 43. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, you can open to Mark 5, 21 to 43. And yet, so for the last three weeks, we've been looking at this one particular passage of scripture. And so what I'm going to do, if that's okay, is I'm going to explain the story to you, because we've been reading it, you know, um, the last couple of weeks. I'm going to explain the story, and then throughout, I'm going to pick out particular scriptures. Is that okay? Are we all okay with that? Yeah, feel free to, you know, shout out, as long as it's nice. Um, (laughs) um, Okay, so the story goes that... um, there's a man called Jairus who's a synagogue leader and he comes to Jesus and he falls at his feet and he says, Jesus, come with me. My daughter is really unwell. Come and put your hand on her that she might be healed and live. And so Jairus and Jesus head to his house and on their way, um, there's a crowd of people and in the crowd is a woman who'd been suffering with an issue of blood for 12 years. She'd been ill for 12 years. And she tried everything to get better and nothing seemed to work. And so she says to herself, if I just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I will be healed. And so she pushes through the crowds of people. She touches the hem of his garment and instantly she's freed from her suffering. And Jesus stops because he knows power's gone out of him. And he says, who touched me? And the disciples say, Jesus, everyone's touching you. Jesus ignores them and says, who touched me? And this woman comes forward, falls at the feet of Jesus and says, it was me. And begins to tell the story of her life. And Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Whilst all of this is happening, Jairus is stood next to Jesus. And a group of people come to Jairus and say, "Um, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's died. There's no point. Leave him alone. Your daughter's died. And Jesus, overhearing this, turns to Jairus and says, don't be afraid, just believe. And then they head Jairus and Jesus to Jairus' house and there's mourners and wailers there. And Jesus walks in and he says, what's all this commotion and wailing? This child is not dead, but simply asleep. And they laugh at him. They laugh at Jesus. And so he kicks them out. Yeah, we love it. And he takes Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother, to where this little girl was, who was 12 years old. And he puts his hand on her and says, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately, the girl gets up and begins to walk around. And Jesus says, don't tell anyone about this. Keep it to yourself. Give her something to eat. Amazing story, isn't it? And when you really study scripture and really take time to unpack one particular passage, the gospel just comes alive. And that's what's been happening for me the last three weeks. It's just come alive to me. And in the first week, we looked at this woman who'd been suffering for 12 years and how not only did Jesus heal her, he restored her identity. She went from being this woman who was unclean, this woman who was full of shame, to being honoured publicly and called daughter. Jesus restored her identity. 
And then last week we looked at Jairus and how he had faith to believe in the hand of God and the call in our life, not just to seek his hand, but to seek his heart as well and to wait for the on-time God. And today we're going to look at why these two stories were put together. What does that mean for us? Because it's not by chance or coincidence that these two encounters happened at the same time. So why were they put together? What does that mean? And I want to tell you today that for me, this passage of scripture points to the story of Jesus. It points to the greatest story ever told about humanity and Jesus rescuing us. You see, this woman, because of her sickness, by Levitical law, she was considered unclean. So for 12 years, because she was so ill, by law, she was considered unclean, which meant that she couldn't touch or be touched by anyone without them becoming defiled. If, if someone touched her, they would be unclean. If she touched them, they would be unclean. For 12 years, this woman was isolated because no one could touch her or be touched by her without becoming unclean. Also, in Levitical law, if someone had died and you touched that dead person, you were also defiled. And so the interesting thing here is in both stories, Jesus is either touched by or touches that which is considered unclean. And instead of him becoming defiled, he transforms them and makes them clean. This story is the story of how Jesus came conquered sickness, sin and death and was raised to life in glory. Today, Jesus is not repelled by you, but compelled to come and rescue you. This story is the story of Jesus. And if he touches sickness and death, there is only one winner and the winner is Jesus. And so I've titled this talk, The War is Over. And whilst there's physical war taking place right now, the war for your life is over. The war for your soul is over. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he said, his words, he said, it is finished. And he put an end to the turmoil of our sin. He put an end to it. And three days later, he was raised to life and is now seated in glory and majesty. And his victory is ours if we believe in him today. The war is over. It's interesting because in both of these stories, the number 12 appears. So she was suffering for 12 years um, and the girl was 12 years old. And I had this revelation. It was like, it must have been like a month ago. I was thinking about this talk. And um, I literally woke up and I was like, 12? I was like, it's 12? So I went to Pastor Simon and I was like, what does 12 mean? <laughs> and he said to me, in Judaism, 12 is a symbol of like governance and authority. 
And so here, Jesus is demonstrating that he has ultimate governance and authority over sickness and death. Jesus is declaring that what you consider unclean, I'm going to come and rescue you from it. When Jesus touches that which is unclean, he doesn't become defiled. He transforms them into a better way. The war is over. But so often we live from a place of defeat. You know, we walk with it like we're carrying a limp. You know, we walk as if we're striving to please God, that I need to be a better person because then maybe God will like me or be pleased with me. We've got it wrong. Jesus has won the war of your life, which means when you stand before God, he sees you through the eyes of his son. It means that on that day of judgment, Jesus will look at you and say, not guilty, paid for you, not guilty, paid for you, not guilty, paid for you. <laughs> That's what it means. It means today you are holy, pure, blameless, righteous, not because of anything you've done, but because you believe in the one who died for you. Isn't it good news? This story of how Jesus, the touch of Jesus, to transform an unclean person and make them clean is the story of the gospel. <laughs> Today, we are victorious because of Jesus. And so I want to talk to you about what that means and how do we live in victory and not defeat. This word, the war is over, it came to me. Um, I don't know if you remember me saying this, but a few months ago, I kept seeing the numbers 1111. I know I might have told this before, I'm going to tell it again. I kept seeing the numbers 1111. And I said to God, if that happens one more time, <laughs> I, said, <"If> that <laughs> I said, if that happens one more time, God, I'm going to start to think you're speaking to me. And, uh, <laughs> and it happened again the next day. And so I was like, what does that mean? 1111, what does that mean? And I said to my friend Natalie, I said, what do you think it means? And she said, oh, maybe something to do with Remembrance Day. And I was like, oh, I hope not. <laughs> I was expecting a bit more, to, to be honest with you. And then I called my dad and I said, dad, what do you think it means? And he said, something to do with Remembrance Day. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so I said to God, I was like, okay, Remembrance Day, what are you trying to say to me, God? And he said to me, the war is over. And I text Natalie, and I didn't want to sound dramatic, so I just said, you know, I feel like it's a new season for me, Natalie. And she texted me back, and she said, that's funny. I just picked up this book, and as soon as I saw chapter six, I thought, that's Rebecca, and it was titled, The War Is Over. <laughs> Isn't that good? And ever since then, the Lord's been taking me on this journey of what does that mean? And actually, he's been highlighting that I've spent a lot of my life striving, and not a lot of my time enjoying and today I believe that God's marked this day as victory day. So are you ready for that? Yeah, me too. Let's go. Okay. Um, so how do we live as the war is over? What does that mean for us? Um, my first point is that the war is over and all are welcome at his table. All are welcome at his table. When I say at his table, just to clarify... It's this picture in the Bible that we see time and time again. Um, of, and what it actually means, this table with God, is actually like fellowship with God himself. 
you know, you don't have dinner with someone you don't want to have dinner with, do you? Unless you feel forced. <laughs> um, but typically, you would eat dinner with people you want to eat dinner with, you know. And this picture of a table with God is God saying, I'm inviting you to everlasting communion with me. I'm inviting you to the table where we can just delight in one another. It's a picture of fellowship with the Father. That's what the table is. And so when I say all are welcome at his table, what I'm saying is that God wants you in relationship with himself. And God wants to delight in you. And he does delight in you today. Whilst there's um, some like major similarities in these two stories, there's also some really distinct differences. And the biggest difference is that this woman and Jairus held like totally different positions in society. I mean, Jairus was named, so he's already got one up there. He was named. We know exactly what he does. He's a synagogue leader. Um, which meant that he had like respect and authority in the community. You know, people knew who he was and what he did. He was a man of power and position. And then on the other end of that is this woman. And back then, you know, women were inferior to men anyway. So already, just based on her gender, she was lower than Jairus. Um, but her sickness made her even lower than that because she was labeled as unclean. For 12 years, no one went looking for this woman. For 12 years, no one wanted to be with her. She was an outcast of society, the lowest of the low. Two completely different people. Someone of position and power and someone who found themselves isolated, ridiculed, labeled, totally different people. And yet here in this story, Jesus gives them both time and he gives them both a glimpse into his power and authority. And Jesus, in doing so, demonstrates that the new way, the kingdom of God, is for everyone. It's for those that find themselves in the inner circle of life and those that find themselves to be outcasts. Jesus came that all might know the truth and that the truth would set them free. Jesus, time and time again, would eat with sinners and outcasts. Got him into a lot of trouble, but that's what, that's what he did. He targeted those people that society rejected. And Jesus, when he walked this earth, he leveled the playing field. And he said, it doesn't matter your standing in society, you are welcome at the table. Bible says that there's no longer Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female. Jesus like eradicated social division when he walked on the earth and he gave time to those that society rejected. All are welcome at his table and it doesn't require achievement or status to get there. It is faith and faith alone that is the acceptance to the table. What's interesting is that this woman, because of her sickness, um, she was actually excluded from the synagogue. So she wasn't technically allowed to worship in the synagogue. And so she'd never seen Jesus before. And I know that because it says in verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd. She'd actually never seen Jesus before. She'd heard of him. 
Whereas Jairus, it says in verse 22, when he saw Jesus. And in Mark 3, we see that Jesus was in the synagogue and he healed a man's hand on the Sabbath. And because of that, the synagogue leaders wanted to kill Jesus. That was in Mark 3. And so Jairus would have been there when he saw Jesus perform this miracle. And it is likely that Jairus was one of the people that stopped this woman from entering into the synagogue. And yet here they are in each other's stories right before Jesus. And in our own lives, let's not exclude those that the Lord has called to the table. In our own lives, let's not exclude those that the Lord has called to the table. Um, I'm from Dewsbury, which is in West Yorkshire. And when people think of Yorkshire, they probably think of like rolling hills and sheep and everyone's drinking Yorkshire tea and everyone's really nice to each other and everyone's wearing a flat cap. Um, (laughs) And whilst there are parts of Yorkshire that are very much like that, The part that I was from was not like that at all. Um, I was from a town called Dewsbury, which is really rough. I was saying in the first service, you know, if you came out with a full set of teeth, you've done really well for yourself. (laughs) Like, honestly, it was really rough. Um, And so naturally, our church that my dad pastored kind of attracted an eclectic group of people. You know, the waifs and straves of, like, life, you know, would come to Dewsbury. And um, to the point where I remember this lady called Betty testifying one morning because Clark's had a discount sale. (laughs) And she was like, the Lord has been good to me. (laughs) I'm like, wow. (laughs) Um, And so I went from Dewsbury and uh, before I was here, I was in a town called Beeston, which wasn't too dissimilar in the sense that, again, an eclectic group of people would come to the church. And there was this uh, Wednesday fellowship group which is just, I mean, what a, what a Christian name that is, a Wednesday fellowship group. Uh, but we get all sorts of people that come along. And one man that would come was a man called Robert. And, um, I mean, I don't want, please don't think I'm being rude, just for the sake of the story. You would think he was homeless. You would think he was homeless. He had, like, long, scraggly hair, really big beard. He'd wear the same clothes time and time again didn't have a good sense of like personal hygiene you know Um, he was very much an outcast of society but yet he'd come along every Wednesday and I kind of watched you know people how they interacted with one another and there was a lady called Margaret who's just like the sweetest lady and she had this ability to level the playing field and every room she walked into she would kiss everyone on the cheek (laughs) doesn't matter who you are she's coming for you (laughs) Margaret's coming, look out. <laughs> and she'd go around, she'd kiss everyone, you know, say hi. When she'd leave, she'd kiss everyone, say bye. And she'd kiss Robert. And um, she had this ability to make sure that no one was better than anyone else, but all were welcome. And in doing so, I honestly believe she demonstrated Jesus. I went back to Beeston last year for an event. And I said, oh, who's that man over there? He was like, trimmed, beard short hair, new clothes, and they said, oh, that's Robert. And such is the power of treating people the way Jesus treats us. It transforms people. And so often we have our own prejudice against people, but truthfully all are called to his table. 
Not everyone says yes, but everyone is welcome. Um, the reason why I've you know, called this bit about the table is because there's this parable in, in Matthew's, go- Matthew's gospel, sorry, and it's the parable of the wedding banquet. And Jesus tells this story to demonstrate what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he begins to tell of how a king is preparing a wedding feast for his son. And so he says to the servant, go out and invite people. And the servant goes and he invites people to the wedding table, but they say no. And so he comes back to the king and he says, you know, they don't want to come. And so the king says, go again, go to every street corner and invite the good and the bad to the wedding feast. And so he did just that. And the wedding hall was filled with people, the good and the bad. Truthfully, we are all invited to dine with God. Not everyone says yes, but everyone is invited. And our job is not to exclude those that the Lord has called to be seated next to you. And one day when you get to heaven, you'll be surprised at who's there. We'll all be surprised. And so I want to encourage you to live like heaven is on earth. To treat everyone the way Jesus treated people. He came and he created a new way of living. And it avoided, it, was, it eradicated social divide. And he said, I'm coming for all, that all might be set free. Um, what I love about this story is that um, Jairus needed this woman. And there's that moment, isn't there, where, you know, this woman's just been healed 12 years of suffering. She's just been healed instantly. And Jesus speaks over her daughter, your faith has made you well. And at the same time as that, Jairus hears the news that his own daughter, who's 12 years old, has just died. And in that moment, it's not by chance, in that moment, Jesus made it so that the faith of this woman would be what Jairus needs to inherit his own miracle. And there are people in your life that God has positioned to encourage you to receive your promise from God. Don't despise those that the Lord has brought near you, because one day you might need them. The story of your life helps to encourage the story in someone else. And Jesus just flipped this whole thing on its head. And he spoke to Jairus and said, you're going to need her. (laughs) You're going to need the faith of this woman to help you wait for your own miracle. We've got a lot to learn from one another, haven't we? The main thing about this point for me is that both of them, no matter what you know, social standing they, they found themselves in, both of them found themselves kneeling before Jesus. Kneeling before Jesus. And let me just say this one thing. One day, every knee will bow before Jesus. And right before um, we read this passage, there's another bit in Mark 5 where there's a man with an impure spirit and the impure spirit knowing it's Jesus pushes this man to the floor everyone and everything will bow its knee to Jesus and as this um, woman and Jairus fell at the feet of Jesus in doing so they had to let go of something you see um, like I said in Mark 3 you know the synagogue leaders wanted to kill Jesus and the reason why they wanted to kill him ultimately was because The Pharisees and the synagogue leaders had a picture of who the Messiah should be. And they thought that the Messiah would be one that would dictate, rule with law and order, you know, would be aggressive and angry. (laughs) They had this picture of the Messiah. And when Jesus turned up, 
it didn't align with what they thought the Messiah should look like. And so that's why they wanted to kill him. So often we have um, a flawed picture of who Jesus is. And it prevents us from coming humbly before him. And in this moment, Jairus had to let go of the Messiah he thought he should have been to embrace the one that was actually standing before him. Some people refuse Jesus because they think God's angry with them. This woman, it says that she came before him trembling with fear. And for 12 years of her life, you know, she'd been ridiculed and told that she was cursed by God. For 12 years, imagine hearing that for 12 years, you've been cursed by God. You know, for 12 years, that's what she thought of herself. And then when Jesus calls her to come forward, she comes with fear. And the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear because fear is to do with punishment. And so in this moment, she thought she was going to get rebuked or punished from God. Because when she came and confessed her story, what she was confessing to was everyone around me is just being defiled because she was in a crowd of people. She came and she was expecting punishment because she's yet to experience perfect love. And she came and she let go of this idea that God was punishing her to embrace the one that was standing before her. Jesus is full of compassion and mercy. That's what moves the hand of God. It's compassion and mercy. And he was moved to come and rescue them from the state that they were in. And today, let go of your idea of who you think Jesus should be to embrace the Jesus of the gospel, which is driven and moved by compassion. And today, he's calling you to his table. He's calling you to everlasting life and communion with him. And he's asking, don't exclude anyone because all are called to the table. It says in Revelation 19.9, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Amen. The war is over and all are welcome at his table. Uh, my second point is the war is over, so pursue him wholeheartedly. In both of these stories, there's crowds of people involved. So in verse 21, when Jesus had, crossed, had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Verse 30, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? And I just want to say, there's a difference between proximity and pursuit. And in both of these stories, there's crowds of people near Jesus. And yet, the woman was the one that felt the power of Jesus. And Jairus was the one that managed to get Jesus to come to his house. Proximity to Jesus does not move his hand, but pursuit of him does. You can be in proximity to Jesus, but not be in pursuit of him. You could be stood in a crowd of people in proximity to Christ, doesn't mean you're in pursuit of him. They are two different things. And this story demonstrates that. Pursuit and proximity are very, very different. And the thing that catches the heart of Jesus is when someone is desperate for him. 
And when you read these stories, you see that Jairus came to the end of himself. And this woman came to the end of herself. You see, she tried everything. It says that, you know, she um, spent all she had on doctors and physicians trying to get well. She tried the solution of man and nothing seemed to work. And so her last resort was Jesus. It does us good, you know, to become a little bit desperate for Jesus. If we think we can do this on our own, we're kidding ourselves. <laughs> and so often we do genuinely think we can do it on our own. And I know that because so often Jesus is not the first person we talk to. He's our like last resort. If only we would learn to turn to him quicker, we might find things get a little bit easier. <laughs> You know, when you look through the Bible, you see that right from the beginning, God wanted to help humanity. He's not bad, you know. He wanted to help humanity time and time again. The Holy Spirit is our helper. And in a world that's looking for self-help, you know, there's books about that, you know, self-help. Not that I have any. <laughs> uh, but there are, like, that's like the whole thing, you know, self-help, self-care, self-love. You know, in a world of all of that, if only we would learn to turn to our actual helper, Jesus. If only we would learn to turn to him first. When you become desperate for Jesus, you actually realize that you can't do life without him. That you just learn to actually, you don't want to do life without him. And the more time you spend in his presence, the less time you want to spend outside of it. You want to be in pursuit of him because you know proximity to him is just not enough. It's not enough to stand back in a crowd watching other people have an encounter. You've got to be the one pushing through. Like, I'm going to touch the hem of his garment today. You know, this woman was desperate for Jesus. I think just as a little side note, I think one of the things that prevents us from being desperate is that we get distracted you know, I, I just, I've not planned this, but I just genuinely think we get distracted. I think we get distracted by other loves, you know. Um, I think we get distracted by, we don't want to address the areas in our life that need help. And so we cover it over with distraction. But actually, we've got to learn to bring all that to Jesus. And when we do, we find freedom from it. The world offers temporary solutions, but Jesus is, offers everything, eternal life, everything, everything that you need. So today, don't just be in proximity to him, be in pursuit of him, and I believe you'll see the hand of God. The war is over, amen. My third point is, so keep the oil in the lamp. So keep the oil in the lamp. Um, in Mark's gospel, there's this word that appears 80 times, no, 40 times, 80 times in the New Testament as a whole, but 40 times in Mark's gospel alone. And it's the word immediately. I often think that Mark's gospel was written by a northern person. Obviously it's not, but <laughs> um, everything's a bit more straight to the point which is why I, I love reading Mark's gospel. I always think Pastor Simon's more like John because it's really descriptive and eloquent and he's just, you know, whereas I'm just like, get it done. <laughs> um, 
But anyway, um, this word immediately turns up 41 times in Mark's gospel, and it appears twice in this one passage. So it says in verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Jump to verse 42, immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. Last week we looked at how God is in the waiting, and he is. But I just want to say that God is also the God of the suddenly. And he wants to turn up in your life. Um, there's this bit in, in Matthew 25. It's another story Jesus tells to explain the kingdom of heaven. And he talks about um, that how it will be like a bride waiting for her groom. And he tells this story, this parable of the ten virgins, it's called. And um, in Judaism at the time, a wedding would look like the groom would come, select his bride. You look nice. And then he'd go, <laughs> and then he'd go, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> then he'd go, and he'd go to his father's house and prepare a room um, for him and his, and his wife. And then at any moment, months later, at any moment, he would come back. She would not know when. He would come back and get his bride. And so when Jesus is telling this story, the parable of the ten virgins, the people know exactly what he's on about. And he, he begins to tell this story of how um, five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. And the wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. And it says the bridegroom was a long time in coming and they became drowsy and fell asleep. And the reason why I've titled this bit, um, Keep the Oil in Your Lamp, is because if we believe in the God of the immediately, we need to live like we believe it. And we need to carry ourselves with expectation and an anticipation that Christ will come again. If the enemy can't tempt you to walk away, he will tempt you to fall asleep. Some of you are feeling that temptation right now. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> that was a good one, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> um, but if he can't tempt you to walk away, he will tempt you to fall asleep. And falling asleep is like taking your eye off the prize of his return. Jesus will come back again. He will come for his people. You know, I started this like little series thing, whatever it is, uh, three weeks ago. And I started off by talking about the wedding of the lamb. Can you remember? The wedding of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Jesus is coming back real soon, you know. And he's waiting for his bride to prepare himself. And so the thing is, is that if we believe that and we look around at the world and we think, well, he must be coming soon. If we believe that, then we've got to live in expectation that he will come back. And that means living in like sweet communion with Jesus until he return. But I also just want to say that whilst he is the coming king and he is, you know, and he will come again, he also wants to come today. Um, like Probably like a year ago now, I recognized in my own life, this is going to sound really depressing, but stay with me. I recognized that um, I had like a state of hopelessness. Um, like my heart just lacked hope. You see, I've always known Jesus will come back soon. And I've always known that heaven's going to be a really amazing place to be. 
And so I kind of settled for the fact that maybe things on earth won't be so great, but heaven will be good. (laughs) And whilst, you know, you might have your opinions about that, truthfully what it did is that it left my heart in a sense of um, hopelessness because heaven, although it's close, it's also quite far away at the same time. And I said to Simon, Pastor Simon, I said, you know, this is how I'm feeling. And he said, oh, okay, yeah, I get you. And he said, every day for 30 days, look at yourself in the mirror and say, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And in that time, the Lord came and he spoke to me and he said, Becca, do you know I want to bless you? And I was like, oh. (laughs) He's like, I know it sounds really obvious, doesn't it? But you know, when you hear it from God, that's when you you really moved, aren't you? He just said, you know, I want to bless you. You see, um, sometimes we don't expect Jesus to do the immediately in our lives here. But today, Jesus wants to bless you. And we need to allow our hearts to grow in capacity, in expectancy before him, to believe that he is the God of the immediately. And as Jesus spoke to me and said, I want to bless you, the capacity of my heart to receive that blessing expanded. And if you have an expectancy today that Jesus wants to meet with you, he wants to do the immediately in your life, then I believe that he will come. We have to be expectant. Jairus and this woman had one opportunity. They had one opportunity. And so they came with an expectant heart that if just one touch from Jesus, I will be healed. That's expectation. And Jesus came through. There's this story, I should have found out in the break, but it's in one Kings or two Kings. (laughs) It's in Kings. (laughs) And it's um, a story of um, this widow who uh, needed money, like she had nothing left. And she went to Elisha or Elijah. That was a test. Elisha, thanks everyone. And, and he said to her, go get as many empty jars as you can and, and pour the oil. And so she did. And the story goes that as long as she had an empty jar, the oil kept flowing. And as long as you have an expectancy before God, I believe he will keep moving. But the moment you think, I've got everything I need, I can do this on my own. That's when you're in a little bit of a dangerous territory, truth be told. We need to keep ourselves desperate and expectant for the God of the immediately. And not just, not just in anticipation that he will come again, and he will, but in the anticipation that he wants to come today, that he wants to show up now, the immediately of God, the suddenly of God, who turns up time and time again. He's never late, he's on time. He is the God of the immediately. Um, today, I guess, I guess that was it. The war is over. And so often we live from this place of defeat and actually we're called to live in hopeful anticipation of his return and of his work today here on earth. The war is over and all are welcome at his table. Doesn't matter where you find yourself today, doesn't matter the mess of your life, Jesus comes and he wants to remind you that you are clean, holy, and pure before him. The war is over. And so pursue him wholeheartedly. If you want to see a move of the Holy Spirit, 
it takes all of us to be in pursuit of him. Not to stand in proximity, but to press forward in pursuit. And because the war is over, we can do all of that. Because the war is over, we have access to the Father today. And you can come confidently before him. He wants to pour out blessing today. He is the God of the immediately, the breakthrough. He is the God of the immediately. Shall we pray together? Why don't we stand together? Why don't you just um, begin to seek after Jesus in this moment? You don't need me to pray, but why don't you just begin to pursue Jesus just right where you are? Just, just speak to him. Jesus, when we've been living in proximity but not pursuit, we repent of that right now. When we've just been a a face in the crowd, Jesus, well, we turn away from that, Jesus. And right now, we become like that woman, desperate, desperate for you, Jesus. Right now, Jesus, we become desperate for you. And if there's any sort of sense in our lives that we can do this on our own, Jesus, would you just remind us how much we actually can't, that we need you, Jesus, that we can't do this without you. Make us needy, Jesus, for you. And fill our desperate and expectant hearts with the oil of your presence, Jesus. If you want a, a touch from Jesus today, just why don't you just open up your hands. If you if you genuinely like just want a touch from Jesus, you're saying, actually, God, I'm just surrendering to you. I'm just acknowledging I can't do this without you. Yes. I'm acknowledging my need of you. Just stretch out your hands before him. And so together, Jesus, we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We declare over our own lives that the war is over, that we are free, holy, pure, and blameless in your sight. And so we ask Jesus, pour out your blessing on your people. May the God of the immediately show up. The God of the suddenly, would you come? Yeah, with anticipation, we wait for you, Jesus. Just in this moment, uh, just with everyone with your eyes closed, if there's, um, I just want to give an opportunity. If, 
no one's said yes to Jesus before. You know, if there's someone here and you've not said yes to Jesus, you've not accepted the invitation to the table of God, if that's you, every, every eye is closed. Can you just put your hand in the air if that's you? I just want to pray for you. Maybe not. But if that's you and you're saying, actually, Jesus, I want in. Like, whatever this is, Jesus, I want it. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, Jesus, I pray, um, God, for that, that hand today, that heart today, Jesus. I want to say thank you, God, that you saw him where he's at. And you came for him. That God, you, you saw the state and you came for him. And you've called him to a new way. And in this moment, Jesus, I ask that you would fill him with your power and your presence. That your Holy Spirit would dwell in him, Jesus. We welcome your presence here in his life. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Rest upon him, Jesus, I ask. Thank you, Jesus that you are working today, you are here today. Is anyone in need of um, a physical healing today? If that's you, just put your hand up. If that's you, you just feel like you're in need of like a physical healing. If you're around these people, can you just uh, lay a hand if you're around them? Um, just see who's around. Come lay a hand on them. And right now, Jesus, we bind every uh, sickness in their body. We bind it in Jesus' name. We bind it in Jesus' name. We command sickness to leave in Jesus' name. Sickness, you've had your time and it's time to go. We command it to leave in Jesus' name. And we declare the healing power of Jesus to come upon every heart that needs it today, Jesus. Everybody may be healed in Jesus' name. I declare the God of the immediately to come and to transform and to heal and set free everyone that needs that healing today. The God of the immediately. God, we declare together that sickness has had its time. The God of the immediately needs to show up. We ask, come, Lord Jesus, come in your healing power. Come and rest. And I pray, Jesus, that all sickness would leave in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.